This one is for all you moms, soon-to-be moms, aunts, sisters. Do you need a babysitter? Were you a babysitter? You've got to hear this story. Episode 92. What's going on, ladies? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos, and this podcast features great stories from business women all over the world who have tons of information and inspiration for you on your journey. I've got a great story to share with you today, but before we begin, it is time for our Biz Women Wednesday series. Every single Wednesday before our main interview, we take a second to shine the light on an amazing woman who's a part of the Biz Women Rock community. Today, we're highlighting Cornelia Shipley. And Cornelia is a nationally recognized executive coach, life mentor, speaker, and strategic planner. Her focus is in helping people increase their income, enhancing their impact, and expanding their influence. To find out more information about Cornelia and to see how you can be highlighted in the Biz Women Wednesday series, Go to bizwomenrock.com. Now let's get on with the show. I'm so very excited to introduce my guest to you today. Her name is Lynn Perkins, and she's the co-founder of a company called urbansitter.com. Imagine, if you will, a kayak for babysitting. So, you know, you're a mom, you need a babysitter, and you don't just want to go online and get any babysitter, but you want to go online and you want to have access and find babysitters who maybe your friends have had babysit, who um, other people recommend. So it's an entire online and mobile platform that marries babysitters and parents looking for great babysitters. It's a really fascinating business model and a fascinating journey that she's had. So turn up that volume. Let's get rolling. What's going on, Lynn? Thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to have you here because although I'm not a mom quite yet, that part of my life is not too far off. So I am totally loving the company that you have built and I'm just totally enamored by how you have built that and what it's doing so far. So in order for us to really you know, understand Urban Sitter and what you're doing, can you give us a little bit of a background as to kind of what prepared you to start this company? Sure. I had been working at a job that I really enjoyed, but I decided that it wasn't my true passion and I wanted to change and try something else. And while I was looking for that true passion, I found myself constantly introducing my friends who had young children to different nannies and sitters. Most of these nannies and sitters were friends with either sitters that I had used or my nanny. And I realized that there was a real need out there for parents to find trusted recommendations in the childcare space. Got it. What actually was it that was in you that was like, okay, I can create a solution for this? Did you have some sort of an entrepreneurial background or what was it that said, hey, I can create a solution instead of me going out and trying to find one? I had started a couple of companies in the past. And so I'm definitely entrepreneurial by nature and I like solving problems. And for this one, what it really was for me was doing some consumer research and finding out that I wasn't alone in this situation, realizing that there was a large market out there for this opportunity, and then looking at the technical landscape and seeing how more and more companies were using the social network to surface trusted recommendations. It felt like the right timing to start a business like Urban Center. 
When you were doing market research and asking people about what their needs were, what was the response that you got as far as being able to take that online? Because I would imagine when you're dealing with somebody's kids, that tends to be a very scary move, I would imagine. So what was the feedback that you got about being able to move it into an online space? Interestingly, when I talked to parents, they would tell me time and time again that they really preferred getting a recommendation from a friend. But if that friend couldn't recommend somebody to them, they were actually already going online and looking at these large moms groups or neighborhood forums and getting advice from people in these groups that seem to matter to them, groups where they thought other people would have similar values. And these were usually done through whether it was a sort of like chat rooms or listservs. And so they already were looking for this online. It just wasn't being done in a very efficient manner. So you really are acting as aggregator. I mean, on one hand, you have sort of this pool of babysitters that are coming in into your system. And on the other hand, you have parents who are looking for babysitters, babysitters looking for jobs. So you act as this matchmaker, really, to actually connect all of these groups together. And we're going to go into exactly how you do that because there's a lot of you know technical and detail behind that. I really want to ask you first, when you were a kid and you had babysitters, like, were you a good kid or were you like a terror? <laughs> I think it depended. I was really fortunate that my younger brother tended to get in more trouble with the sitters than I did. So I think by comparison, <laughs> it's okay. But it was interesting. Even as a kid, there were certain sitters that I just really admired. And when they would come to my house, I would be on the best behavior. And I really loved the activities they would do with us. And so when we'd have great sitters come to our house, I actually really liked it when my parents would go out for dinner. But I'm sure I caused my fair fair share of trouble. <laughs> the funny thing is, is in my family, there are six kids. So I remember that we had babysitters, but not that often. I'm number four out of the six. So I think when my oldest sister was fairly young, I know we had sitters coming in and watching us. But after that, my parents were like, okay, 13 year old, you're babysitting everyone else. Have at it. <laughs> right. You all of a sudden became the in-house sitter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So I want to dig into the process that you have behind this because there's a lot of stuff. So you got the idea and you said, okay, I can create this. Can you talk about some of the steps that you actually needed to do, maybe some of the technology and how you needed this to work in order to know that you can make it really effective? Definitely. Well, the first thing that we did, well, the first thing I did was I found a technical co-founder. I am not technical by nature. And I knew that even though I had a great vision for how this might work, I was definitely not going to be the person to make it happen. So I found a business partner who is an expert in this space and walked through the different scenarios I imagined for this product. And then, like you should in any new company, we scaled it back and said, okay, we can't start with all the bells and whistles, but what are the core components that we think parents are struggling with right now? And we narrowed that down to searching, so finding a trusted sitter, and then the second part is booking. So you may have six sitters that seem fabulous, but the chances that they're all available when you need them is pretty slim. So solving those two problems for parents was how we really focused for our first version of the product. So one of the challenges in being sort of this technology matchmaker is that you have to get people into your system first in order for it to be used at all. So when you built this out, what sort of pilot program did you have and how were you ensuring that people were coming in on both sides of that spectrum? We decided to start geographically focused. So we started initially in San Francisco and we focused on a small part of the city where we knew a lot of families lived. And we started to recruit sitters from local universities. There's a college in the area that has a strong nursing program. There's another school that has a really strong education program. And we knew that parents would be excited to find these sitters. So we recruited a really talented pool of sitters initially. And then we actually went out and found parents in the area that are the type of people you would turn to if you moved to a new city. 
So if tomorrow I decided to move to Tampa, these are the people that would give me all the recommendations for schools, after school programs, things like that. So, so like the influencers, right? Exactly. And so we got a group of influencers and a group of really talented sitters. And that's how we launched the initial small group. On the sitter side of the equation, it's been incredibly viral. Once sitters start getting jobs, they tell their friends about it. So we've been very fortunate that the sitters bring other good sitters to the platform. Imagine that you've moved to a new city and there aren't families there that you know from growing up and you want to make some extra money. It's really hard to find families if you aren't already connected in the market. So this was a great opportunity for sitters to gain work that they wouldn't otherwise have. On the parent side, a lot of parents get nervous about referring sitters to friends like, oh, please don't steal my sitter. But when you have a platform like Urban Sitter, where it's actually beneficial to everybody if the platform grows because you can see each other's sitters, it's an easier thing for parents to recommend. What kind of legal things do you have to pay attention to because you are, I mean, it's pretty much your reputation that is ensuring that this babysitter is going to be good and be effective and be a safe person. So what's the protocol that you have for making sure that you're screening through all the babysitters and that they're sort of with your stamp of approval? So we're a true marketplace where the sitters and the parents are forming the relationship between each other. Having said that, we want to ensure that we have the highest quality people participating on both sides of the marketplace. And so one of the things we do is we keep all the transactions in our system. When you book a sitter, you're actually booking him or her for a specific date and time. So we can see that the job was completed. We can reach out to you and ask them how that sitter was. We can get some really good subjective review data from parents because we know that they've completed the transaction. So that really helps a sitter start to build credibility through reviews. At the same time, we also track sitters' responsive time, how quickly do they respond. We track whether a parent books them another time. So that's kind of a more objective way of looking at parent reviews. A sitter might have 10 five-star reviews on our site, and you can also see that she has eight repeat families. And as a parent who's looking at this platform, you're saying, wow, people like that sitter enough to have her come back again to their house. So we take all of this data and we use it in our algorithm so that we're sorting to the top of the pile the sitters that are the most qualified to meet your family needs. And ultimately, it's up to the parent to interview the sitters and make the right decision for their family. But it's our job to surface as much data as possible to give you the tools to make that decision. Have you guys ever had, maybe even especially in the beginning when um, you know you were kind of working out all of your kinks, have you ever had any complaints? We have sitters or parents that aren't the right fit for the other one, and it goes both ways. A family is very well-intentioned and has great kids, and for some reason that family is just not the right fit for a sitter. And vice versa, we may have a sitter who is better equipped to deal with infants versus older children. And we take that information and that feedback pretty seriously, and we use it to make sure that the platform is staying to the highest quality. Usually what ends up happening is that sitters will then work for the parent's friends. So you might have a sitter who's really specialized in infants and I as a parent have a young child, I give her a high review. And so she ends up working for other parents who also have infants. So people seem to find the right fit for their family through the reviews and the algorithm. Is there a scheduling software that's a part of this too? Because I mean, is it something that you already have like a sitter can say, here are the dates on a regular basis when I'm available and a parent can just go in there and say, boom, I want to book you on that date. Yes. What, how yeah. much and back and forth is actually going on versus how much is automated? A lot of it is automated. And for me, as somebody who babysat all through high school and college, I love this aspect from the sitter side. As a sitter, I had some great families that I worked for, but one of the tough things is that they would reach out to me by phone or email and they would want to book me for times that I wasn't available. And there's only so many times you feel like you can say, oh shoot, sorry, I'm not available on Saturday night. Oh, I really wish you needed me on Tuesday night. So the sitters love the ease of this in the sense that they're really only getting requests for the date and times that they've said that they're available. 
And I, as a parent, love it because on Urban Sitter, the average response time is under 23 minutes. Whoa. So if I, and actually, in our bigger markets, it's under 90 seconds. So if I have this to-do list and one of my things to do is to book a sitter for Saturday night, I love knowing that I can very quickly get that taken care of and, and feel good about both the decision and the response time. So really, I think finding a sitter is difficult, but then making sure that your schedule is aligned, that, that can be as difficult and as challenging. You know what it reminds me of is like Airbnb or even a hotels.com where you can go and find the places that are available. It won't show up if it's not even available on that date. And you can also choose ones of like, you know, what's available tonight, my area. You're bringing in really all of those aspects. Oh yeah, the last minute date night is definitely an improved possibility when you're able to find somebody in a matter of minutes. Man, the one of the reasons I wanted to get into some of those details of that technical stuff behind the scenes is because, oh my goodness, like especially not being that technical person, it had to be very overwhelming for you to have to see what truly needed to happen behind the scenes in order for it to really automate itself. Can you give some advice to somebody listening who has a vision of or maybe is building a company like that that is very technology driven and wants to make their processes very efficient, they want to make their usability very efficient, how can they take bites out of that? How can they really master what you created? I think the number one thing is to recognize that any entrepreneur will tell you that their product in their head is much better than their real product. So for instance, with Urban Sitter, version 47, which may come out next year, in my mind is where I want it to be. But then there's always the reality of resources. So I think starting off by really prioritizing and saying like, what are the core features that I need to have to make this appealing? And then being able to roll out new features using that prioritization is really important. I think being able to map it out and then keep revisiting that design and simplifying it and saying, okay, what do, what do I really need to get down to to make this useful? And that will also help you in terms of hiring, whether it's an engineer that's working with you internally or if you're outsourcing it, being able to be pretty succinct in what it is you're trying to achieve. And then I think one thing that a lot of people forget is once I've got this product out there, I need to make sure I'm looking at the right data so that I can either modify the product to better meet the consumer needs or that I can take a step back and say, okay, what's missing? A good example of this would be in our case, I would have assumed that parents, the next time they come to the site, if a sitter isn't available, they would want to book another sitter that their friends knew. Well, it turns out we started to see on the site that parents actually really wanted to book their favorite sitter's friend. If their favorite sitter wasn't available, they actually wanted to turn to her friend, who they felt was probably similar in style. Luckily, we surfaced that data through our social network capabilities, but it wouldn't have been something that I anticipated. But get taking in that data and understanding it to be really valuable, it allowed us to later on modify other parts of the site so that now sitters can recommend their friends when they have to decline a job. And these are things that, you know, by looking at the data and really looking at your initial user feedback, constantly asking your users what they think about the product, you can actually then add on components later that are very relevant to your users. Lynn, can you get in a little behind the scenes on looking at that data? Because I think that's something that all of us forget about because we're just trying to move forward so fast. What does that really mean when you say, let's look at the data? Like what reports are you pulling up? What are you looking at website analytics? Like what does that mean for you? Sure, so it's, it's both. So we look at website analytics, we're looking at where our traffic is coming from. So knowing was a user on a certain site before they came to Urban Sitter, had they searched for certain words? So if somebody's looking for last minute sitter or sitter in a city that's different than where they live, like we can serve up the right homepage experience for them. But also then once people are on your site, looking at how many people are having successful booking. Geographically, are we seeing that we have more jobs accepted in New York than we do in Los Angeles? Why could that be? So taking the data and breaking it down. And then I think it's easy to kind of let the data run you as well. I think it's important to go back and say, okay, what are the five key metrics that I'm going to look at? 
and what are the ones I'm going to look at every month and make sure that I'm improving. And it, that's something that we are pretty disciplined about. We, we make sure that we're looking at that data to, to guide a lot of our decisions. When you first started this, you had two twin boys, like pretty brand new kids, right? Right. They were toddlers at the time. My God. Okay. So what did your life really look like being a fairly new mom and actually like being in the trenches of building a company? It was chaotic. I, I, I won't deny it. It was definitely a little crazy in the beginning. But I've also found that having a company now that I have a family versus two companies that I had previously, I'm much better at prioritizing. And I think starting a business can be all consuming. And one of the toughest challenges is really focusing your time. So by having kids in this outside distraction, it really forced me to look at what was important to get the business up and running. And one thing I will say, when you have kids, you're not going out nearly as much at night and you're definitely more confined in terms of your schedule. So I had a lot of evening hours available to work on the project. <laughs> I guess that's very true. Like once the kids go to bed, right? Right. Can you walk us through your revenue model and how your company actually makes money? So we have two different models that both charge the parents. So one model is a subscription model where parents can come back unlimited time, book sitters, ask them questions, pay them through credit card. It's sort of the unlimited plan. And it works really well because a lot of families are booking sitters on an ongoing basis throughout the year. The other model we have is a one-time charge where if you are going to book a sitter one time on Urban Sitter and you think that might be it in terms of your use, you can come and pay us a fee for booking that sitter. And we only charge you if the booking is accepted. And that works really well, especially for people who are maybe visiting a city where they don't live and they want to give it a try. Parents who book on a more recurring basis tend to like the subscription model better. So you started this company really geographically focused in your area in California, and then you have since built out into six different cities. Share with us a little bit about why you just started so locally and how you've been building out so far. And then I definitely want to hear about what your plans are to scale out because kind of your whole value proposition is that it's very locally community-based. It is literally your neighbor who you can see who babysits for them. They're in your area and that's the person that you want. And how do you take something that's so local and make it global? So we definitely are geographically focused. And the way we start out in a market is similar to how I told you we initially started with recruiting sitters and parents. We've kind of kept that model in every city. What we do is once we've found an initial set of sitters and parents, we partner with local groups in the area that are family focused. So it could be a new mom's group or maybe a neighborhood um, parents association. We partner with groups that are very meaningful to families because those are the resources that new parents are turning to. And so by establishing local partnerships with these groups that already have brand credibility, it gives us a faster way to integrate with the communities. And the reason why we are very geographically focused is that we found that those network connections are really, really valuable when parents are making a decision about hiring somebody. So we're better off to have the same number of users concentrated in a dense area versus having them spread out. So we've created this playbook that we've now rolled out in a dozen cities. And we've actually started to grow just organically in other cities as well. But what we found is that being very focused on one market and then taking that same playbook to another city and building up that brand awareness market by market has been a great strategy for us. We're now at a point where our brand has started to build up national credibility. And so the speed at which we can execute this playbook has gotten a lot faster. And we now have ways that we can market in new cities where we don't have that same sort of week by week rollout strategy. We're, we're getting enough brand reputation now that it's becoming easier to roll out in new markets. I love that. It's such a grassroots campaign that really is making a difference from the ground up. It really is. And if you think about how parents 
look for recommendations offline, it is through those local organizations. And what we found is that that's really crucial to us launching in a new market. As we scale our business in a city, that becomes less important. So continue to, to maintain those grassroots marketing efforts, but we start to scale other things like paid search, Facebook ads, SEO kicks in. So it's not that our business needs to continue scaling at a grassroots level for it to be successful, but what we found is that starting off that way really helps to establish brand credibility in a market. Once you are established in a local market and you are then kind of shifting to the Facebook ads, the SEO services, all that stuff, which one of those really works best for you? It really depends. What we found, and I think other companies would agree, that you can put a lot of effort into one channel. So maybe for a couple months, it's paid search that's really singing for us. And then what you'll find is that kind of shifts and that next it's, it's Facebook. Overall, I would say the best thing for any company is word of mouth recommendation. And we're really fortunate that, that because this is such a local customized service that word of mouth referral has been a dominant way that we acquire users. And it's what any company strives for because it's obviously the most economical way to, to attract a user. But I would say that paid search has worked really well for us lately. Facebook ads have been strong for us, especially because we do have that strong social network component. Now, one of the things that has come along with your growth is you've gone from co-founders to now you have like 30 people on your team. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the challenges that you've had in growing out a team and managing a team? Sure. I think when you grow a team, the first people that you hire tend to be, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say generalists, but they're people that can wear many hats. So somebody who comes in as the number one marketing person is going to do a little bit of everything. They're not just going to be experts on paid search. They're going to be able to do a little of everything in the organization. And as you grow, you start to hire in people who become more specialists. And I think that's an opportunity for people who have been there for a while to figure out what it is they really want to specialize in. For other people, they like to maintain still sort of that general background and manage people in those different areas. I think one thing that we've really tried hard to do is make sure that as we grow, that people in all different departments still feel like they're vested in the decisions that we're making in terms of the company strategy and, and where we're headed. How do you do that? What are the realities of that? One of the things that we do, we have monthly meetings where we pick different discussion topics and it's run by different department leaders. And so it might be product talking about the things that they're contemplating for next quarter and they're taking input from all the different areas. Or it could be marketing coming in and saying, hey, we're interested in doing a back to school campaign. Like, Here's six ideas we thought of, like, let's brainstorm some more. I think getting people together that work in different departments and having them go to lunch together and discuss a topic. So it's a great way to get fresh ideas from within your own organization. Any hard type of lessons that you've learned as a leader? I mean, on the hiring front, I would say at the end of the day, skill is great and strong references are excellent. But as somebody who's making that hiring, I think you have to go with your gut in terms of a feel about whether somebody is going to be the right fit for your organization. It's you and your co-founder as sort of the, the startings of this company, right? Uh, yes, I have uh, three co-founders. And one thing I would say that's different in this company versus the others I've started, this time I started it with people who have very different skills than I do. So one of us is uh, a technical expert, the other one is a product expert, and the third is a marketing expert. And I've really enjoyed that. I think finding business partners that share the same vision but bring different skills is a great way to balance the work across a small team and a great way to continue to grow the company with everybody having a role that best suits them. Talk a little bit about your national exposure that you've had and what effect that's really had on you. Because you're in these six cities, but if you're getting this national media attention, you've got people maybe in a heck of a lot of other cities who are now seeing you who want you. Like, what kind of effect has that really had? 
it's been great because we've definitely found that there are pockets in the United States that are looking for this service. In fact, I would say that we've been contacted by people internationally that would like to have Urban Center. And the national press has also been a great way for us to start growing in markets where we haven't had a local presence. And so as I was mentioning, it's getting easier for us to roll out in different cities. And part of that is because of the national press. It's really helped fuel the growth in some of our newer markets. Lynn, I can't help but sit here and think that I know that as entrepreneurs, all of us have these ups and downs and we're figuring it out and we're evolving, but like you kind of got your stuff together <laughs> because of the entrepreneurial experience that you had in the past. What major lessons did you learn from those entrepreneurial experiences that you now have like seriously implemented here and is part of the reason why it's actually working so well? Oh gosh, that's a good question. Let's see. I don't know. I would attribute it to many things. I really, I, I'm not, not sure how I would sum that up specifically. <laughs> I guess, I guess maybe, let me ask this question. Along your entire like business journey as a woman, has there been a really low moment that really was really tough for you that you learned something significant in that now plays a big role in who you show up to be? Oh, yes, definitely. And I think that's a great way to phrase it. I would say that one of my biggest challenges in my career has been um, the second internet company that I worked at that didn't work out. I feel like whether I've worked at big companies in the past or worked for smaller companies, I've always kind of been able to eye what success looks like. And given the right tools, I've been able to achieve it. And I think having something happen to you that would be potentially considered like a failure to you personally, it's a really hard thing to go through. But I would say it's actually made me much more successful at Urban Center because what I realize now is that like operating out of that fear of failure is somewhat limiting. And once you've had something happen that's been a roadblock or an obstacle and you've gotten over it, I think it's pretty freeing and it's good to know that even when tough things happen, you're resilient enough to move on and to actually find like a different type of success later on. And so I think it's been really nice at Urban Center to be able to know that I'm, I'm making decisions out of um, pursuit of opportunity, not out of risk of failure. And it's, it's a very empowering way to operate, especially when you have limited resources. You can't spend too much time thinking about that fear of failure. You really have to be focused on pushing the company and pushing your coworkers forward. And so having had that under my belt and realizing that it was something I could personally get over has been hugely freeing for me in running another business. Is there a specific moment in your past that really kind of is a good snapshot for that? Like what was that fear that you ran into? Well, I think having to shut down a business and fire people, I mean, it was probably the toughest thing I've ever done. And in that moment, you think, wow, this is really career scarring for me. How am I going to ever get back to this place again in my career? And I think having had enough time to buy and, and having taken other jobs after that that I was excited about and able to be successful in, you realize like, okay, and I can get knocked down a few times and still get back up. And I think that that really allows you to operate your life in a much more positive sort of risk-taking way, which I think at a startup is, can be really valuable. Have you had mentors along the way who have really helped guide you in all of this? There have been, you know, I would say like the one common trait throughout my career is I've always worked with people that I've admired. So people who are successful, both in terms of where they've gotten in their careers or people who are experts in certain areas that I really admire, people who have management styles that I have taken little bits of here and there. So I've had various people along the way. I'd say I've been really fortunate that I've always worked with people who I've, I've thought really highly of. I haven't specifically had someone who I would say is like a mentor, but I would definitely say that in my past three or four jobs, I've, I've worked for people, whether they were my immediate manager or investors that really offered good advice and kind of helped me grow. Where do you see this business going? What is the big vision for it? 
Well, I think the big vision, you, you talked a little bit earlier about expanding, and I think there's still so many more markets in the United States and internationally that we can grow into in terms of our current service. I also think there are so many other services that parents look for that also depend on a degree of trust in terms of a recommendation. And so if we're in 40 cities and we're providing you a great way to find trusted babysitters, pet sitters, house cleaners, tutors, you name it. You know, I don't know what the vertical will be. We haven't specifically honed in on that, but at some point I think that's a big opportunity for us. I think right now there's just still so much opportunity for us in the childcare space that we're really focused on becoming the best innovator in terms of how you find and book childcare and offering parents great tools to do so. So I think, you know, in the short term, that's, that's really our focus. One of the unique things that I think about you is that you guys actually have an app to make this very mobile and very easy, which I think sets you apart from some other ones. What was the biggest driver behind creating that app and what has been one of the best results from it? Well, the one thing I would tell you when I was mentioning earlier, our sitter response time, sitters, especially that age demographic that's on our, our platform are all on mobile. So most of our sitters are either in grad school or they're working other jobs during the day and they're looking for weekend babysitting. They're all on their phones. And so by making this mobile app really easy to use, it means that the sitters are keeping their calendars up to date. They're responding to job requests quickly. So I, as a parent, get this experience where I've got these sitters who are responding to my job request in a matter of minutes. On the parent side, what we found is that a lot of parents, if they're either with their children during the day or they're working, you're doing a lot of your decision making on the fly. So I might be on my commute home or maybe I've got a few minutes between my kids' soccer practice or at the end of the day. It just makes it easier on both sides. I think as more and more people look to their phones to provide basic services and kind of use that as like their primary tool, I think being on mobile for us makes a lot of sense. Lynn, I really want to bring this conversation to a close by asking you your favorite five things, okay? So I'm going to say, okay, your favorite whatever, and then you just give me the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Well, I love this. Great. All right. So what is your favorite food? Pasta. What kind? Oh, definitely sort of spicy red sauce, potentially with some sausage or bacon in it. All right. Okay. Favorite vacation spot? I would say Hawaii. I love exotic travel, but for a good relaxing vacation, I think a beach trip is always nice. Your favorite business tool? That's a good one. I would go with, this is so old school, but I'm totally an Excel junkie. I love running calculations in Excel. <laughs> You're a nerd. I love it. <laughs> Your favorite TV show or movie? I'm torn between Modern Family and Scandal right now. Modern Family because it's kind of a nice comic relief at the end of a long day. Scandal because I've started watching it while I'm on the treadmill and it's like kept me on the machine a lot longer than I would otherwise. I think that thing like deliberately makes your heartbeat faster and it can last for like I'm sure hours. <laughs> it is. It's true. And the last question is, since you mentioned this before, where is your favorite place for date night? Favorite date night used to be movies before I had kids, but now that my husband and I don't have a lot of time to chat, I would probably take like a good leisurely dinner or a hike. Very nice. At an Italian place. <laughs> At an Italian place. A good hike to burn off the calories I'm going to consume when I eat my pasta. Love it. Love it. <laughs> well, Lynn, I really want to thank you so much for being on the show and thanks for giving us some really great information and a view into how your business has been built all of these years. I think it's been amazing. So great job. Congratulations. And thanks for being on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. To get access to all the show notes for today's conversation with Lynn, as well as the direct link to her super cool service, go to bizwomenrock.com forward slash 92. Okay, major takeaway from this conversation was that we've heard this over and over again on the show, but that she chose 
people to be on her team, to be part of her co-founders who had skill sets that were different than hers. And it worked very, very well. And she said she obviously learned that from prior business experiences that she, you know, was getting people who were exactly like her and had the same skill set. But with Urban Sitter, she really got people who were good at things that she was not good at and they collaborated very well. I really love that. And I also love that she went really in depth with us about exactly what it meant to look at data and how to use that data in your forward planning, but how not to drown in that data. I hope you got something great out of this episode and I will see you on the next one. Bye. Little known secret, apparently Lynn and I are both spreadsheet junkies. (laughs) Such a nerd.